Welcome to Sane Split, a podcast about staying sane when relationships end. I am AJ Jakubowska, family law lawyer and mediator. Just like you, I'm human. I understand what can happen when people separate. Lots of questions swirling around like confetti. Lots of uncertainty, perhaps anger, disappointment, or even pain. Sleepless nights, shallow breathing. Will I ever be happy again? Will the kids be okay? How much is all this going to cost? All of these questions are human and you're not alone. This podcast features my thoughts about separation and my interviews with other humans who help people when their relationships end. People who assist with legal issues, who mediate, who look after hearts and minds, and even after the pocketbook. People who might help you plan your future. What you will hear is not legal advice. These are dialogues primarily about the human aspect of separation. We will try to stay away from legal lingo. It's humans talking to humans. I hope that something you hear will help you navigate your way to a sane split. Welcome and thanks for tuning in. Today I am going to spend a bit of time talking about powerful tools to help you navigate a separation. Here I'm talking about supportive relationships, both personal and professional. There is a marriage and a family therapist in California whose name is Lisa Oliveira. I bring her up because she has a great, great quote, one which truly reflects how I feel about supportive relationships. The quote captures the very essence of the issue, and here it is. Just because no one else can heal or do your inner work for you doesn't mean you can, should, or need to do it alone. Only 25 words in that quote, and yet such a mighty message. Let's unpack it a bit. So first, the healing and inner work in the context of a separation. What might this refer to? There is no question, no question at all, that separation can be and often is a difficult, even traumatic time. Most people experience an emotional upheaval when their relationship ends. The degree to which that upheaval impacts life can vary from person to person, but there are some common themes for most people. These are feelings of uncertainty, loss of control, pressure, anxiety, and sadness. Many people feel like their heart is being torn out of their chest. The struggle is real and can be profound. In an early episode in this podcast called A Journey to a Place Called Apart, I talked about an allegorical couple, A and B, who were dealing with a separation in different ways. A made the decision to leave. B was on the receiving end of the news with no control at all over A's decision. 
while each of them was processing the end of the relationship from different perspectives, each was experiencing an upheaval, perhaps showing up in different ways, exhibiting different symptoms, so to speak, but definitely a time of heightened emotional levels and vulnerability for both of them. So we should not approach the topic from the perspective that people who end relationships do not have impactful feelings or emotions about the separation. They do. When a body experiences physical trauma, the process of recovery includes healing. Sometimes at the end of the recovery process, the accident victim is, as we might say, good as new. The broken bones have mended and the bruising has subsided. Sometimes the healing process allows the recovered accident victim to move on with their life, to return to normal pre-accident life, for example. But there are times when scars remain or a more permanent legacy of the accident, a loss of function, for example. Learning to live with those scars or that loss of function is one of the challenges the accident victim might face. In the context of a separation, you too may need to go through a process of healing, just like the accident victim, and possibly deal with the ongoing scars left by the relationship itself and or possibly its breakdown. In her quote, Lisa identifies both healing and inner work. For the purposes of our discussion, the healing reference may be analogized to the process of recovery from an impactful, often very impactful event, the end of a relationship. But what about the inner work that Risa refers to? I think of this as a longer term healing process which sometimes includes an element of education, recognition, self-esteem rebuilding, for example, noticing the scars, acknowledging them, understanding them, and possibly accepting them. The inner work may even bring you to a point where you realize the scars have made you stronger. There is something else that often happens when a relationship ends, and that is self-blame. Humans yearn to understand what is happening to them and around them. Answers to the question why are fundamentally important to us, whether we realize it or not. Consciously and even Unconsciously, we constantly look for explanations to life's common questions. Why did that happen? Why am I feeling like this? Why did he say that? Why did she react that way? Answering those questions gives us a sense of order in our mental, emotional, 
and physical lives. Often that sense of order may be illusory, unrealistic, but that is a discussion for another time and perhaps another type of podcast. When a relationship ends, explanations are par for the course. Why is that? Because a separation generates a lot of questions about the circumstances of the separation itself or about the future, for example. For some people, particularly those on the receiving end of the separation news, these questions and then answers or explanations come after the breakdown of the relationship. So the narrative may go something like this. He is leaving because blank or the reason she no longer wants to be with me is blank. For the person who decides to end the relationship, the because may come before a final decision to leave. So this narrative may go something like this. I have to leave because blank. Or my spouse is impossible to live with because blank. When the because involves self-blame, which is quite common, the person asking the question and then providing their own answer in response may be tapping into pre-existing perceptions of of themselves or of the relationship. Here are some examples of statements which may become part of a separated spouse's inner or even outer dialogue. He would not have left if I was thinner. Or the reason she left is financial. I could not provide her with the things she wanted. I just did not work hard enough. Or... I wasn't attractive enough or exciting enough anymore. Then, self-esteem can tumble along with the ability to cope, to make effective decisions, to consider the big picture and the future. Sometimes, the self-blame comes not so much from self-generated perception or guesswork but from actual actions and statements made by the other party. Perhaps leading up to the separation, at the separation, after the separation, or even throughout the relationship. When it comes to an abusive relationship, for example, when a person hears over and over again You are not an equal partner in this relationship because you are lazy and worthless. Over time, the listener, the person at whom the comments are directed, may start believing the message. And when the separation happens, you guessed it. The self-blame narrative is ready. The relationship is over because I was not an equal partner. I am worthless and lazy. Let's go back to Lisa's quote. No one else can do your healing or inner work for you. 
I agree with that 150%. Separation includes a lot of healing work and inner work by the separated person. But to use a phrase I have used many times now in this podcast and earlier episodes, you are not alone. The healing and the inner work journey is not one you need to, should, or even can take alone. I have had a number of clients in the years of my practice who experienced a profound sense of loss when their relationship ended. For months, they could not come to terms with the change in their circumstances and suffered both physical and emotional symptoms of deep, deep grief, insomnia, increasing dependence on alcohol, weight loss or weight gain. For months, they were persistent in their refusal to get help. This is not a criticism at all. Each person is entitled to make their own decisions about their own circumstances. But I must admit that as time went on, it became more and more challenging for me to watch them struggle because I had a pretty good idea based on past experience that they could make real, tangible progress with a bit of help. One of the women who comes to mind here lost a best friend during this time. Why? Because the friend was urging her to get some help, professional help with her overwhelming and almost paralyzing grief. Not wanting to accept the advice or even hear it anymore, my client ended the friendship which had lasted over 20 years. Whether we like it and whether we're prepared to admit it or not, our society still attaches stigma to counseling, for example, not to mention psychiatric help. That saddens me very much because so many people who are hurting could truly benefit from some assistance. So where do you turn beyond yourself for support as you work your way through the emotions and even physical symptoms that come flooding, uh, flooding in when separation happens? Some members of a potential support network come to mind immediately, and those include family and friends, neighbors, and work colleagues. Perhaps other people who have gone through a separation as well and may be able to empathize with you based on personal experience. Reach out to people whom you love and trust and who you know love you and want the best for you. People who will accept you without judgment in whatever state of grief you're in who will work with you through the roller coaster of emotions you will face, whether you're despondent, sad to the point of inertia, or angry like you have never been before. This is the time to reach out to others for emotional support 
and sometimes even physical support when, for example, you are so weepy or upset that you need a bit of a personal break and assistance with doing chores or taking your kids to an activity, for example. You should be selecting individuals who will not judge you and who will only give you advice if you ask for it. What you're looking for primarily are people who will accept you the way you are and will react by providing whatever you need at a particular moment. A shoulder to cry on if you're crying and a more objective point of view on an issue if you ask for that view. So far, we have identified family members, friends, neighbors, and even work colleagues as people who may be part of your support network. There are other supportive relationships you can build in the context of a separation. Community networks and support groups are another place where you may turn for help. Here, I'm talking about support groups like those for separated dads or moms or for people who are experiencing grief when their relationships end. Many such groups are headed by professionals with experience in the field, and these people are able to guide those participating through what they're experiencing. They can give you tools, teach coping mechanisms, and show you steps along the way to hopefully learn how to better manage the roller coaster you're on. Remember, you're not alone. Support groups may very well include people just like you. That sense of community and shared experience is sometimes very helpful. I have already touched on situations in which the reaction to a separation is very profound and the pace of healing and recovery outside the norm. Um, I have been asked before if there is such a thing as a quote-unquote normal separation grieving period. There isn't one. Humans are unique, so are their reactions to stressful, upsetting situations. But there is a point at which you will know something is off. Your friends and family will also know, and I hope they will be comfortable enough to tell you that they are concerned. If you are in a depressed state, which is persistent over a number of months, if lack of sleep is interfering with your daily life, your work, your ability to interact with others, your care of your children, you can and should seek professional help. Such professionals can include, for example, your family physician, and this is often a solid option, particularly if the patient-doctor relationship is a long-standing one, and the doctor has been familiar with the patient over a period of time and, frankly, has gotten to know them. 
that doctor would have a baseline for comparison purposes to help them assess your needs and to figure out what personalized support you require. That family physician may identify the need for a more specialized diagnosis and treatment. And at that point, he or she might make a referral to a psychiatrist, for example. Again, the support you should be seeking and relying on should be from a person or a group capable of providing it. If your family physician wants to know whether you suffer from clinical depression, that diagnosis should be made by another professional, like a psychiatrist, not your neighbor who read a book about depression or saw something on the internet. Supportive counseling is something I recommend to many of my clients. In many cases, I can work as a team with the counselor to assist our client, meaning my client and patient being their patient, make their separation journey while being supported by two professionals. I deal with the legal issues. The counselor deals with the heart and mind. Spiritual support can be no less important. For many people, the end of a relationship has faith-based connotations. Priests, rabbis, Buddhist monks, imams, they may offer you an invaluable source of support and guidance. Many of them already have experience with separation, but even if they do not, Prayer can create a sense of calm and even community. And they certainly have a lot of that to offer. We have come to the end of this episode. I encourage you to return to the quote from Lisa Oliveira, which I used as a guide through our topic today. It's a powerful quote. And rereading it from time to time can be in itself a form of support. You are not alone. You do not have to navigate separation on your own, nor should you. For many people who are going through a tough time in their lives, the sense that they have a team behind them, a set of supportive relationships, can go a long way in making the journey just a little bit easier. Thank you for listening. I hope you will tune in again. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me through my website, separationinontario.com. Subscribing to the podcast through your favorite app will make future episodes available to you automatically. Signing off for now.